0: Before we restart this episode of Conversations with Kenyatta, I'm excited to tell you about my new partnership with Audible. Listeners can go to www.audibletrial.com backslash Kenyatta to receive a free 30-day trial. Audible is a wonderful resource with audiobooks for every reader. It even has titles from authors that have been on my podcast, such as Dr. Dan Bouch's Democracy's Data and Gail Lucasic's White Like Her. And please note that this is an affiliate link. So I may receive a commission with no cost to you, just a free trial with so many wonderful titles, and I love to read. But with that, here's this week's episode of Conversations with Kenyatta. Welcome to episode 20 of Conversations with Kenyatta. Today, I'm joined by Maureen Taylor, the photo detective, and Maureen uses photo clues to help us learn more about our family history. Thank you so much, Maureen, for coming to Conversations with Kenyatta. Um, I'm excited to find out a little bit more actually about your uh, background in genealogy. I've known you for years, but I don't think I've really heard sort of your origin story in genealogy.
1: My origin story. Story.
0: Yes. So (laughs) so, what sparked your interest in genealogy?
1: You know, I went to a dinner once and we sat around the table and everyone told their origin story for family history. And I was like the only one with a history background at the table. They were like, I used to be a chemical engineer. Oh, I used to do this. And I was like, no, no, no. I've been pretty singularly focused on history and family history for a really long time. What got me started with it? I am not really sure, but I was just like a little kid, like maybe eight or nine years old. And I only had one grandmother that I knew. Everybody else had long gone. And I remember going up to my grandmother with a piece of paper and a pencil. And I was like, tell me who your parents are. And she'd be like, oh, you don't really want to talk to me. I'll tell you about your grandfather's family. And then I'd say, well, what about grandpa's family? And she could only tell me his parents. So I was like, well, we didn't get very far on that. But I'm not really sure what truly sparked the interest. I know my mom's family, they would talk more about family history stories. You know, my dad, nobody around to spread that news. So I'm not really sure. But I have been interested since I was nine, I think. And as a teenager, I convinced my parents who were not interested in family history when we were on a vacation to New Hampshire to stop at the New Hampshire State Library so that I could do some research for a little while. I had, I had 30 minutes to go in there and do some research, and the librarian couldn't have been nicer. My mom came in with me, of course. I still think about that, and I think, what were they thinking with their weird little daughter who said, <laughs> can we please go to the New Hampshire State Library? That's what I really want to do on my vacation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like that story though, because that shows you, as you said, you um, have a background in history and it shows your interest in family and starting at a young age and kind of continuing, you know, throughout and making it, you know, your career. So why did you choose to focus on photos? What what about photos do you love, like, or made you decide I want to be the photo detective?
1: So my mom used to take out these little boxes of pictures you know, like we'd have a blizzard, right? And we're bored to tears. What are we going to do with these kids? How are they going to, how am I going to keep them busy? And so she would take out these boxes of photographs and we would go through them. And they're not really old photographs, Kenyatta. That's that's my big secret as the photo detective. I don't actually have a whole lot of old photos. That's why I like looking at everyone else's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and she would tell me the stories. And then, you know, as I got older, the stories would deepen a little bit more. And some of these people I knew and some of these people I didn't know, you know, she'd tell me about her parents. And then I was in college and I needed a job, right? I needed to, I needed a job. And I thought I was going to go to, I thought after college, I was going to go to museum school. That's what I thought Mm. I was going to do. And all my graduate school applications arrived late. It was like fate. It was like the fickle finger of fate came down and said, these applications will never be submitted. And my job at the time was working in the school library. And my boss said, hey, they're hiring over at the local historical society. I'll I'll give you a recommendation. Why don't you go over there? And so I did. They interviewed me and I got this job, amazing job. Half the day I did help people with their family history and half the day I worked with the photo collection. And there was just, there's just no going back.
0: That's awesome, though, to hear that. And that's funny that all of the, like, every application was late.
1: <laughs> I had four of them. They all were late. They all came back.
0: <laughs> really? That is definitely, definitely fate or the universe saying, this is what you need to do. This is sort of your calling. But when you were a child, as you were doing that genealogy research and in your teens going to the library on vacation, you know, what did you want to be when you grew up? Was there like a certain career path you thought you would have other than what you're doing today?
1: Well, I never knew any genealogists, okay? I was like this really weird kid. I saved my allowance to buy Gilbert Doan's Searching for Your Roots. You know, I was like so excited when that arrived in the mail. Here I was like maybe 10 or 12 with this, you know, book. Oh my God. And I still have my little notes from when I was a kid. But what did I want to do? Well, you know, back in the day, what could women do? you know, people said, well, you could be a teacher or a librarian, or you could be a nurse. That was it. There was no other options. So I Mm -hmm. said, well, I think I would, I would like to be a librarian. And then I read a book about archaeology. And I thought, this is it. This is it for me digging up the past. I am going to love this. I'm going to be an archaeologist. And that thought lasted in my brain until I was in college, first year of college. And I took an archaeology class. And we sat there and we counted seeds, and I thought, no, this isn't for me. <laughs> I don't have the patience for that. <laughs> and my uh, my advisor at the time was like, you know, you should really just just do history. You should just become a history major. It's mm. really more exciting, and it was, and it continues to be. But yeah, mm. I, the little the little Maureen thought, I'm going to be an archaeologist. I'm going to go and discover hidden tombs in Egypt.
0: sounds very adventurous, of course. Um, With your background in history, was there an area that you focused on when you were um, in school, a specific part of history or?
1: As a graduate student, you know, in undergrad, you just take everything. There's Mm -hmm. not one thing that you focus on. You really have to take a sort of broad-based, cut a broad-based swath of history. I was always interested in women's history, Mm -hmm. uh, always interested in I was always interested in women's history. But as a graduate student, I became particularly fascinated with women who left their husbands and set out on their own. You know, the newspapers were full of those ads saying, I will not pay her bed and board anymore. And then there were the rebuttals saying, oh, he's such a loser. Why would I want to live with him any longer? And I looked at endless divorce papers. And I just want to say that when I went to graduate school, I was pretty newly married. And my husband was like, is this something you're trying to tell me? (laughs) I was like, no, no, this is absolutely not. No, I just am totally fascinated with these women who decided that this was, this was something not for them. And they were going to go out and set off and do something better. There was one woman, I can't remember her name right now. uh, Her divorce papers contained a document that everyone in the town signed saying you know you should really give her the farm because she worked it all these years he actually did nothing and every member of this little village signed the divorce and wow. and in support of her
0: that's very that's interesting it's very fascinating i have seen those ads and didn't really i was trying to understand the context of them right because i didn't know why they were there. I mean, I've seen him in passing, actually have seen him through someone in my family. So that's pretty interesting. <laughs> Did you say that? <laughs> pretty close relative too, not too distant, you know, not too far back. And I didn't understand why he put that in the Detroit Free Press, but now I know. So that's going to be an interesting family story that I'll share with my mother once we're done. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, when papers.
1: I was, when I was in college, last year of college, and you had to write a paper and I decided to look at, all of these biographies of women written during the American Revolution and see you know how they were treated so women's history is definitely of interest to me but I love photographs I mean we're not going we're not going to not talk about pictures but you no, can see course. you can see why I have that interest in the revolution and then I have the interest in the photography it's like mm, 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 back and forth
0: yes yes no I do I do and actually getting back to photography you mentioned the photos that your mom would bring out, you know, when you're in a snowstorm and it really weren't old photos, but she would entertain you, you guys with this. Did that spark your interest from seeing those photos of your family? Did that kind of, you know, stay with you throughout your career and eventually lead you to where you are today?
1: Well, again, I, I was not aware of, I think at that point in my life, I didn't know. I knew one person who had gone to college. Hmm. Right. I did not know anyone who were was interested in the things that I was interested in. Mm-hmm. I was really the odd one in the family. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. And everybody's like, Really? Like, you know, everybody else is like getting married and having kids and I'm like, Yeah, no, you know, I'm not ready for that. Um, there's some other things I want to do first, please. And so I I only knew one person with a college degree and he and his family lived across the street from us for I don't know a few years and my mom used to take me over there and he would say let's go to the library I'm going to teach you how to do research and I was like that sounds good to me let's go and off we would go to spend he'd say do you have to do you have to write something for school? Do you have research? My mom would take me ro- over there and she would say, you know, can you help her? She really needs some help. And then when I wanted to be an archaeologist and read all the time, I was always reading, 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 reading. That was like my major activity. They had moved away, but my mom drove me to where they lived and had me spend the weekend with them just to make sure that like my sort of crazy reading thing was actually normal. <laughs> and not sort of crazy. <laughs> uh, this is all done. This is all personal, personal stuff, Kenyatta, that I never talk about. So this is really an interesting conversation. But I don't care anymore. You know, I'm not in any way embarrassed of my parents. They, they did the best they could.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's what parents do. They do the best they can with what they have and the knowledge that they have at that time, right? You know, I, I was like you. I read all the time as a child. That's all I did. I mean, I was an only child. So I grew up an only child and a nerd. So what else was I going to do, right? I mean, reading was sort of my escape. So I totally get that. And my mother, while she does read, she's not as big of a reader as I am. She's more of a fiction reader. I'm more of a nonfiction reader. So I get it. And I think that the desire... And the interest in research and the interest in uncovering the past with archaeology, and then your history piece—it all leads to and fits very well with what you do in genealogy, right? I mean, and it's—it's to me kind of, while it's not a straight a straight path, it's a natural path, I think.
1: Yeah, and it's an uncovering of the past. What Mm -hmm. I do with the photo clues is a little bit different. You know, when I first started lecturing on family history, my area of expertise was Rhode Island. I live in Rhode Island. I worked for the Rhode Island Historical Society. This is what I knew. Mm-hmm. Again, there wasn't anyone lecturing on photographs. It was a really hard sell. Mm-hmm. Like pictures, who's really interested in pictures? Yeah, they're pretty. Yeah. Our, yeah, but, but why?
0: But photos are so important in telling that story, right? I mean, they add so much to to the family story and to your family history. And I wanted to to get into that a little bit deeper around photos because a lot of times we'll find photos and maybe if someone has passed on or transitioned and we're going through their, their belongings, right? And mm-hmm. you may find a photo with no names on the back. It's just a bunch of people standing together. You may think you're related to them or not. But kind of if that happens, what tips can you provide to our listeners or on how to identify those folks in the photo?
1: Well, it really depends on how old the picture is. You know, if it's a 19th century photograph, you definitely start with what format is it? Mm-hmm. Is it a cased image? And if it's a cased image, meaning in a little case, is it a daguerreotype, an amber type, or, you know, a tintype? Uh, sometimes they're paper ones. But and then what size is it? And then I always look at the clothing. You know, for me, I just, I've looked at so many pictures in my life that I always zero in on what is the most unusual part of the photograph I'm looking at at that moment. And so I look at the format, look at the clothing, and then look at the family history clues. I always start with trying to establish when that picture was taken. People send me their family trees and they send me tons of family information. But I like to start with, let's date the photograph first. Let's look at all the clues. And then let's see if we can fit this into your family history. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Mm -hmm. Sometimes my favorite is when, just like this morning, I did a consult this morning. This guy had this card photograph. It's a woman. She looks to be in her 60s, maybe even in her 70s. And it predates what he's got on the family tree. Mm. He doesn't have a match. I'm like, well, this is what you need to do. So this is where the the family history research comes in. I'm like, this this is what I would do if I were you. Mm-hmm, and he's like, mm-hmm. well, there's like 900,000. You know, I was like, well, you're going to narrow it down. You know what surnames you have in your family tree. You're obviously going to narrow that down a little bit further. Yeah. So you look at the format you look at the clothing, you look at anything else that might be in the photograph. So in the 20th century, what's really important is all the technology that's in the photo. Now, people kept cars for years. They generally, you know, if they're older, they might have held on to older clothes. If they're kids, they might have hand-me-downs. But you do look at all of those clues. Whatever you can see in the picture is a clue that you can date.
0: So I'll just bring it personally for me. I have some photo. I don't know where I got it. I have no idea. Okay. It's somehow appeared in my collection and it's a group of African-American men standing in front of a a building and it appears to be in New York City, dressed very nicely, nothing on the back. So I kind of feel like they were part of some league or some group, you know, could have been something connected to the NAACP or not. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know why I have it or if I'm connected to someone. You've given me some clues though, because looking at the clothing in the photo, right? They're very well dressed. It's in a frame. It's kind of like a gold frame, and it's not too big. But also, it seems like it has something in the back where it's hanging somewhere. So again, who I'm gave not, it to you? I don't know. That's oh. the thing. It's it's very, and I'm really trying to understand why I have it. I have. I look at it every day because I want to figure it out. I just haven't taken the time to do it. But given what you said about the time period, the type of photo, as well as the clothing, I think now, that's the good thing, the fashion.
1: Can you identify the building?
0: And identify the building, yeah. So I'm going to take a look at it um, after, you know, and kind of use what I learned through this conversation to apply it to to this photo, because I, I don't know if it has a connection to my family or not, but they appear to be someone that's a group of men that are prominent just by their statue, their stance, and kind of the, like, it's almost as like they were coming from some meeting, right? And they're all taking a photo after this big meeting. Um, Interesting. Of this building, yeah. So I know there's a story there. I know there's a story there. And I think that's one of the things that I like about what you do and about photos is because a photo, every photo has a story. Absolutely. And and finding out that story is really detective work, like you do, right? Um, so I'm going to do that definitely once I I kind of have some time. I think the other thing is finding the time to actually do the research on things like this because you go a little bit deeper, and it's a different it's a different type of research. I feel it's
1: a very different. It's very different. Um, You look at sources you don't generally look at for family history. The understanding of the visual clues is something different than Mm -hmm. understanding the traditional genealogy clues. You know, and everyone has a, almost everyone has a mystery photograph. I have mystery photos Mm -hmm. that I've been working on. You know, I like, I have them pinned up in my office. It's like, maybe you're on my grandmother's side of the family. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Right, <laughs> maybe you yeah. just
1: a gathering of people who got together for a, a summer outing and then there are some you know that my when my dad died you know we were cleaning out his stuff and there was this little box this little wooden box way in the back of his bottom drawer of his bureau where he had had some of the stuff from when he was in the military during world war ii and there is this small collection of photos My dad's in some of them. I recognize Mm -hmm. some of the other guys in them from when he was in the service. And then there's like two random ones that make no sense. There's a group of shirtless guys on a beach with goat heads in the sand. Like no one knows what that is. And the other one is a photograph of a Japanese couple with their kid, little kid. And I did manage to do this written in Japanese on the back. And it predates the time when my dad was in the service. Hmm. So I have no idea why he has that photograph. But he did spend some time in Japan after, you know, right after the war. Hmm. So maybe they were friends. I, I'm not really sure. But they do predate. He didn't join up until 1943. So oh, wow. this was a photo from around 1940. Oh, Where wow. does this come from?
0: When you find those old photos, right, as you're going through, like you found with your dad's stuff, how do you preserve those photos? If I'm looking through my great aunt's belongings or actually I have a cousin, a third cousin, she's 95 in upstate New York. She has all the photos, all of them on my Ooh. mom's maternal side. And when I've gone to upstate, she's given me photos because she says my children don't want them. And so take I- them all. Take I am. So Take gonna go, them all. I'm going to go back and get everything. But how would I preserve all these old photos? Because she has photos of uh, probably my um, second great-grandfather, as well as maybe one or two of my third great-grandfather. But I, would, I don't know how to preserve those once I'm able to get my hands on them.
1: I buy polyester sleeves, non-PVC okay. sleeves. I buy them by the hundreds. That's mm. how many pictures I have. And I buy 6B or 8B soft lead pencils at the art supply store. I buy acid and lignin-free folders. I used to be a big creative memories person. So I have lots of boxes with little trays in them. I like those. Those are really cool to store your photos in. And that's really all you need. Although I do add to that list, like you need a flatbed scanner. Mm. And of course, if you're going to scan everything, you need a digital photo organizer. Because you want to be able to put your finger on those immediately. If you finally get together with a cousin who's related to that 95-year-old woman and she says, oh, I remember so-and-so, you know, they were in World War I or, you know, the Civil War or, you know, something like that. You want to be able to call them up on your phone or computer instantaneously so you can continue that conversation. So there's like low-tech tools and then high-tech tools.
0: Talk to me a little bit about the digital photo kind of organizer or soft, like, is there something that you would recommend or that you use to do that once you scan your photos?
1: Yeah. I mean, I use a flatbed scanner, mm-hmm. but I have one. I've always had one since they came out in the, in the nineties, I think scanners. And I use Memory Web, mm-hmm. and there's lots of options because you want to be able to keep track of the metadata. So I am the new chair of the Family History Metadata Working Group. So we're proposing that a lot of the family history companies actually adapt or adopt, not adapt, adopt some of our metadata standards that we've developed. And we even have code. All they have to do is pop it into their programs. Oh, wow. Because if you scan a photograph and then you add all that metadata, right, Mm -hmm. what's read, edited, or exported is different in every program. So you may upload it to one of your favorite genealogy sites, and it might not read the information you already added to the picture. So you have to add it again. And then you're thinking, oh, I added it again. I can export it. Well, Mm. no, you probably can't export it to then have the other program read it. So it's kind of a mess. Genealogists end up spending an awful lot of time, wasting a lot of time re-entering information that they don't really need to do. So I use Memory Web because it's fully metadata capable. You know, Vivapix Restore has metadata capabilities as well. Lightroom, permanent.org has some metadata capabilities. They're they're tr- increasing what you can do with it. I mean, basically mm-hmm. if you take the time to scan and you take the time to add all that information, you should be able to
0: share it. Right. Yeah, you should be. And what exactly is a family history metadata working group?
1: This is a group of individuals interested in photography who are genealogists. Family Search is on the committee. Permanent is on the committee. Memory Web is on the committee. The Rick Voigt from ViviPix is on the committee. We have Luther Jovanovic uh, from, I forget which college he works at. He developed, He's our technical expertise guy. And it was a much bigger group in the beginning. And we've had meetings at Roots Tech when Roots Tech used to meet in person to mm-hmm. develop these standards. So last year we looked at all the different metadata standards that there are and came up with our own list of things that we thought were a sort of short list of fields that genealogists could use for their family photographs.
0: Good. I'm glad to hear that that you guys are on that because I think one of the challenges that I have personally, I have some photos, I don't have a lot but I don't spend a lot of time scanning them. And then the photos that I do have that are in my MacBook or whatever are not properly tagged. Well,
1: so- don't tag it in Apple.
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah.
1: <laughs> because I had that problem already. And what you organize on your desktop is not mm. the way Apple uses it on your iPad or maybe even your phone. Mm. Uh, so don't waste your time. <laughs> do okay. it in a different program pick Great. something else
0: yeah I definitely will do that and I'll spend more time I will actually I'm gonna set aside time to work on the photos that I do have and really to your point kind of enter the information about them and knowing that my cousin who's 95 Marion knowing that she has so many photos I need to create a system you know in in advance in anticipation of um kind yeah. of Getting those photos from her.
1: Yeah. Getting ready for the. Getting ready. Yes. Right. Getting
0: ready for that. I mean, because that side, you know, what's really interesting about that is that side of my family, my great grandmother left upstate New York and moved to Detroit. And she went back after her husband passed on. And then she died there in like 1983, I believe. But we really, our family really didn't have a connection to our cousins in upstate New York after my great grandmother passed. So I have been the person that's kind of you know bridged that gap between Detroit and kind of the Rochester area. So being able to know my cousins and know Marion and getting these photos, and this is a whole branch of the family that's large and that stayed in that one area and still lives there today. And the history is so rich there. So being able to get my hands on that, on those photos would be great to continue to tell the story, which I'm excited about. But I wanna switch gears from photos to professional genealogists. So what advice would you give aspiring professional genealogists? If someone says, I've been doing this as a hobby, I want to make this my career, uh, what tips would you give them based on what you've learned so far?
1: Being a professional genealogist means that you spend a lot of time in education, right? You educating yourself constantly. You always have to keep up with whatever the latest news is in your what you want to be your area of expertise. So if it's DNA and you're going to pick that as your area of expertise, then learn as much as you can from the people that are currently in the field, and then go off and maybe find a subspecialty. You know, you need some something where you're going to stand out, and then keep trying. You know, I see these young genealogists on TikTok and Twitter and several of them didn't get their proposals accepted for like Roots Tech or a national conference. Now, I don't know about you, Kenyatta, but it it took me a really long time to get a proposal accepted. I mean, I tried every year for, I don't know, six or seven years, Mm -hmm. I think, before Mm -hmm. a proposal got accepted. I mean, photos weren't cool.
0: Yeah. No, I agree with you. It's took me a very, very long time. And I've only spoken at a few conferences, like national conferences. It's not easy. And how does it's that make sense? Easy. Yeah. And, you know, I like that. I don't, I'm not a big TikTok person. I am Twitter, but I know there are a lot of genealogists on TikTok. But I think it's important to mention that that you're not the first time out the gate, the first try, you're not necessarily going to get accepted. I mean, that's just the way that it works. But take the feedback. If you know, if you're given feedback on your proposal on how it could be better, use that and continue to apply.
1: Or, or ask an a more seasoned genealogist if they'll look at your proposal Mm -hmm. and say, "What did I do wrong here? Why didn't this get accepted?" And there's plenty of educational opportunities in our field.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know,
1: again, with my photo thing, I'm not generally not doing educational things within the genealogy community. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm attending conferences and lectures that are not necessarily genealogy related, but they're relevant to what I, my specialty.
0: Right. Right. And I like picking a specialty and then you said kind of have like a subspecialty, right. Or something else kind of outside of your comfort zone so that you are not just focused on one thing, but you're learning other things as well which I think is very important in, in doing genealogy and becoming a professional. And so what do you enjoy most about your job as a professional genealogist?
1: I love what I do. You know, Otherwise, I wouldn't keep doing it. Mm-hmm. I, I like that I bring joy to people. Mm-hmm. You know, They have that photograph they really, really want to know more about. And for some reason, it's an odd thing. It's one photograph to three photographs. Hardly anybody comes to me with a trunk full, which is like, I really would just want to dive into that. But they come with one or three photos, something like that. And then we try to fit that into their family history. And there is that bingo moment, that big reveal often. And they go, oh, I know know who that is. I'm like, Mm. yeah, you do. You know more than you think you do. Mm, That's great. It's just a great feeling.
0: Yeah, it is. That, Like you said, that big reveal is one of the things that we that I enjoyed when I was on Genealogy Roadshow is the reaction, right, that you yeah. get from someone when they're like, oh my gosh, you know, and you could see them change or you could tell by the inflection in their voice, right, that they feel so connected to that person and to their past and to their history because of, you know, what you discovered for them and helped them discover, which I think is great.
1: That's for you as well, right? That's yeah. why we do what we do.
0: Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I think we are very lucky to have found and been successful in our, our respective areas and be passionate and love what we do, right? A lot of people don't have that luxury, don't have that opportunity. And I think it's great to pursue. That's why I wanna always, that's why I was ask about aspiring professional genealogists and want to get advice because I feel like if you do what you love, then you know they say the money will follow, so to speak. But if you do what you love, then you, I, I think it opens up a level of creativity and experience And just kind of personal satisfaction that you may not have if you're just going along, getting along or doing a nine to five because you have to. I mean, sometimes you have to do that. I mean, I had to do that, you know, while I was filming Genealogy Roadshow. But I appreciate every day that I can make my own schedule. I can have conversations like this. I can help people, you know, and I can discover and learn every day. And I think that's what being a professional genealogist is about, in my opinion.
1: Well, I wish I'd stepped away from... You know, regular paid employment a long time before I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a number of jobs, and I always uh, dreamed of just stepping away and doing this independent thing. And it took me too long to do that.
0: Yeah, it's it's scary, you know. When I decided to leave my job in twenty seventeen, it was okay. This is it, you know. And i just <laughs> I just made the decision, and I said, I wrote this book. I need to promote it, and you know either I'm going to do that, or it, either it's going to be somewhat successful, or at least I attempt to make it successful by promoting it, or I'm just going to let it sit on the shelf. And I said, now or never, you know, and never looked back since then. I mean, it's been, it's not easy, but it's definitely rewarded.
1: No, it's not easy. No, it's not easy. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, younger genealogists, your instant fame in your field is likely not going to happen. It's, <laughs> It's like a slow boil, right. right? It's like, you know, you're heating a pot on the stove. It's not going to boil like oh, that. It's going to take some time and it you're going to grow as a person. And what you start with, like me and, you know, Rhode Island genealogy is not really what I'm doing now. Not that mm-hmm. I don't dabble in it a, a bit, but- uh, you know, there are other people that do that now as a specialty.
0: Right. Yeah. And I i don't know if this happened to you. I recall some of my first national conferences that I went to um, and I didn't know anyone. So I was just kind of there by myself, <laughs> going to dinner by myself, not talking oh. to anyone and just kind of, you know, scoping out the room to see what's going on. But it was, you know, those first couple of conferences are pretty lonely, so to speak. And, you know, I walk into this room with there's so many people and they know so much. And here I am, you know, kind of just this newbie uh, in the back of the room trying to absorb the information and being kind of shy, which I'm not naturally shy, but being shy to even go up to people and talk to them because it's it's somewhat intimidating sometimes, you know? Yeah. But you got to try. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You definitely do. So my last question for you is with uh, what we've talked about, where do you see the future of genealogy as an industry and as a profession? Like where are we going, so to speak, in the next five, 10 years?
1: Given the rate of technological change that I've seen in my career from where you used to have to write away and wait patiently to get the the document you needed, you weren't, you know, sort of a low key kind of hobby to one where you can go online. And in some cases, you know, my mom's French Canadian line, I can sit and just populate the whole tree pretty much in an afternoon or two. Uh, you know, it's pretty easy. I think watch for more rapid technological change. Mm-hmm. Some of the bigger companies have announced some things that they're working on, even for you know photo identification. Look at Wikitree. Mm-hmm. I mean, Wikitree is trying to build a global tree. Mm-hmm. I mean. That's pretty remarkable what they're trying to do. Mm. And I think genealogy, I mean, there will, there will always be brick walls, I think, right? There's always right. brick walls. But I think accessing all that DNA information is going to get easier, all those matches. I think some of that's going to be automated even more than it is. I think uh, all of what we do, more the more digital stuff there is, the more digital access, the f- the faster it is for people to build their family tree, Mm. uh, I think. But we're still going to need education. We're still going to need people to teach individuals, genealogists, how to interpret what they found.
0: Yeah, I think education is extremely important because I like using the word interpretation or interpret the record, right? Because a lot of times it's just names, dates, and places, and people just kind of look for the name and matching someone and to a document in their family tree and not really taking the document as a whole and looking at the neighbors or looking at the occupation or kind of comparing anything, you know, that, where the house, where they were in 1940 versus 1930 versus 1900, right? Just not really analyzing all the, the documents attached to tell the full story.
1: Looking at the local history. Yes. You know, absolutely. I like to do timelines for the people in my family, especially the tough ones. And I do a timeline, and the timeline will include, you know, usually I do it for the couple, sort of like a group sheet. And I'll put all of the information I know about that couple, but I'll also insert what I know about sort of historical things that they might have done. And yeah, you know, Ancestry does that sort of automatically, right, on their tree. Mm -hmm. It's not what I'm doing. I'm doing something a little bit different. I'm looking at it from a more personal perspective. And I insert photographs in that timeline and, you know, everything basically. Mm -hmm. And then in the timeline, by doing that, you come up with questions that you haven't answered.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, But
1: only when you see it in that context, do you see those questions. If you're just about name and date and place, you're missing the whole story.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You can see, you see the holes in your family tree, right? The gaps there, (laughs) like you said, and the questions that you come up with. And the other thing I have, I listened to, and I, her name, Escapes me right now, but the uh, new CEO of Ancestry did a um, had an v- interview at some conference I listened to, and she talked about going towards storytelling. Yeah, and I've seen that word pop up a lot in genealogy because um, we I talk a lot about telling your story and sharing your story, and I try to share my family story in various ways um, through articles and different things. Do you see storytelling? Becoming something a little bit more incorporated into some of the larger kind of sites like either FamilySearch or Ancestry or MyHeritage.
1: I think it should be, mm-hmm. but again, it has to be the personal story, not just random historical facts that your ancestor might have participated in. You know, you have to think about. You know, I have an ancestor that was living in Charlestown, Massachusetts. He was in the Navy. They get married in Salem, Massachusetts with his wife's sister. It's a double wedding. And I'm like, what's going on there? Like, how did they get there? Why did they go to Salem? Did right. they take a boat? Was there a train? I mean, so you have to fill in the story. You know, I like to read fiction and nonfiction. Mm. So fiction, nonfiction teaches you the details, the facts, the information. But fiction helps you tell the story.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. That's that's a good point. And I've just for me personally, I've started to read fiction because I'm working on my second book. And so since my first book was more of a how-to kind of matter of fact thing, I agree with you. Being able to reading fiction helps you helps you understand how to tell a great story, right? Yeah. Which is important. Um, any last thoughts uh for listeners around the profession or photos or any other tips you'd like to share? Oh jeez,
1: I don't know. Just enjoy your family history. Every and so people always say, "Oh, I I don't know if I believe Maureen or not, but every single family photograph collection is unique because it because you're unique."
0: I would definitely agree with that.
1: If anybody has any mystery photos, they knew where
0: to come. <laughs> yes, that's true. They do. If you have any mystery photos, you know to go to the photo detective. So, thank you so much for just enlightening me and my listeners on what you do, how you, you know, your origin story, very interesting, and how you found your spot in photos. And I'm excited to get started on organizing my photos, uh, scanning them, and really looking at a couple of mystery photos I have, one of my, gran- my uh, grandfather that I'm definitely going to focus on. And so oh, I can find
1: out. oh, Kenyatta! I, you know I want to see it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know you do. I you do. I'm yeah.
1: never tire of looking at photographs.
0: Yeah, I would. I would share. I would share it with you. It's from World War II, so I would share it with you. I'm not sure where it was taken. I have, you know, my dad told me a couple spots before he passed on where he thinks the photo was taken, but I just, I don't know for sure. So we'll see. We'll All right. Do. All right. Well, thanks again. I appreciate. Thank it.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Kenyatta.
0: Conversations with
1: Kenyatta is produced by Kenyatta D. Berry and Caitlin Owl and features Kenyatta D. Berry. The music for this episode was Good Vibe by Ketza. Follow Kenyatta on Instagram under the handle Kenyatta.Berry, on Facebook at facebook.com Kenyatta DB, and on Twitter at
0: Kenyatta DB. You can also find more information on her book and upcoming events on her website at KenyattaBerry.com.